Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I am Elizabeth. This week, I'm going to be recapping the Chicago Marathon, which just happened on Sunday, October 9th, and I ran it, and I had a bunch of my athletes and other coaches on my team run it, and it was such a great experience. Let's talk about it. Um, First off, I want to say that this will be more of a, a recap, like a review of the race, like a recap of what it was like to run a marathon major, including the days before and the days after. I personally did not have a very good day and that's okay. This is something that I'm still processing with my coach. We have a plan moving forward. It was one of those non-specific, like things just didn't feel that good. And I didn't really know why I do have some huge wins to take away from it. And the experience was of running the marathon, I really enjoyed. So if everybody's like, how did your race go? Talk about your race recap. I'm not here to talk about how my race personally went because it was just 26 miles of being really uncomfortable uh, and then keep increasing the uncomfortable. And then like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so hard. Why am I doing this again? Um, So yes, it would be a very monotonous recap, but I do want to talk about the course mile by mile. I want to talk about all the things that this specific marathon offers. Maybe you have run Chicago before a million times and you're everything I'm going to say today. You're like, yep, I've heard that before. Um, Maybe you've never run a marathon or maybe you've never run a marathon major, one of the Abbott World Marathon majors, the six marathons in the world, which are considered to be some of the most prestigious Chicago, New York, Boston, London, Tokyo, and Berlin. So let's talk about it. What's it like to run a marathon major? First off, I want to say congratulations to Emily Sisson, who does not listen to this show, but hey, congrats, Emily, on setting a new American women's record in the marathon at Chicago. The conditions were absolutely beautiful. Chicago is a very flat course, as we'll be talking about, and she just nailed it. Negative split, ran a 2.18.29. She took 43 seconds off Kira D'Amato's record, which Kira set in January at Houston, another very flat fast marathon. So it's pretty amazing just as an aside that as we're seeing these records fall, Joan Bonet Samuelson set the set and held several like consecutive, like she kept breaking her own American record a couple times. And she held the American women's marathon record for decades until Dina Castor broke it in the early 2000s. And then Dina held that record for 16 years. And then we have seen in quick succession, this record fall twice in the span of less than one year. Pretty amazing to think about where American women's marathoning is going in the in the near future, in the far future. What a time to be a fan of the sport. So yes, all this to say, typically Chicago is where really fast marathons happen. World records have been set at the Chicago Marathon on five separate occasions, three times by men and twice by women. So it is definitely a place where people go to run PRs, assuming that the weather cooperates. That's kind of a big curveball early October in the Midwest. You kind of you hope you're going to get that beautiful classic fall weather which we did have this past weekend, but 
the previous year in 2021, if you ran it, you'll know it was steamy and sticky and gross and really, really impacted your ability to maybe chase that PR that you've been hoping for. So yes, the course is flat and it can be fast as long as the weather cooperates. Let's talk about the course. The course is a loop course, unlike London, New York, Boston, which are point-to-point courses, as in you start and you finish in different places, the Chicago Marathon has you start and end in the same place in Grant Park. Of course, for smaller races, your start line is also your finish line. It's not quite the same thing here. There is a slightly different finishing spot than where the corrals release you to start. But yes, for all intents and purposes, it's a giant loop around the city. This course itself is really split up into three separate parts, and you'll see it on a map, and this is how I conceptualize it as well. First, you head north and do like a northern loop. So you head north and you run up, and then you kind of, you make a turn and you run back down into the downtown area. Then you head west, then you head out west for a little bit, make another turn, come back in, and then you head south for your final uh, of your three-point turn. Um, Head south, and then you make a turn, and you head back up into Grant Park, the finishing time. The course itself is very flat. It has a net gain of 243 feet, so that means that you're only going to gain 243 feet, around 74 meters in total throughout the entire 26 mile course. So that effectively breaks down to less than 10 feet per mile. This is a flat, flat course. Now everybody talks about there's a hill at the very end. There's a hill at the very end. Um, and yes, there are undulations in the course. I, re- I would I would hesitate to even call them hills, although there are parts of the course where you go kind of like down under little underpasses. You go down and you kind of come back up. There's a very gentle Yeah, again, not even rolling hills, undulations. The one thing I would venture to call a hill is an overpass at the very, very end. As you are making that final turn into the finishing area, you have kind of to go up over an overpass and then go back down, make your final turn into the finishing chute. So it's it's a small little bump, but after you've run 25.9 miles, it can feel like a lot sometimes. But yes, the course is flat. If you excel at running flat courses, if you live in an area that's flat, you'll know what it's like. This course is flat. That doesn't necessarily make it easy though. I want to caution people, don't assume that just because it's flat, that it's automatically going to be an easier course to run than some other courses that are not as flat. Why? Think about the way we talk about on this show a lot, the repetitive nature of running. We talk about this in the context of injuries, we talk about this in the context of accumulation of things both good and bad. You do repetitive motion enough and you will make things happen, right? Talk about that's how a pearl is made. A little grain of sand irritates the oyster. And then over time, layers and layers and layers of um, pearl stuff are added and voila, there you have it. Running anything is similar in that repetitive motion. Running a flat 26.2 miles, you are stressing the exact same muscles, ligaments, tendons, neuromuscular and biomechanical pathways ceaselessly. You may not think of a flat marathon as being a challenging one because you think, I I just, I don't have to go up up any hills. Like this is going to make it easy. You also are going to be using the exact same muscle groups in the exact same way for several 
hours at a time. And unless you have trained specifically to handle this very, very flat course, fatiguing yourself relentlessly in the same way, it can be a challenge. So you may feel like, you know, oh, I'll just go slam a PR. You might, that's totally possible, but you may also find that you're not used to dealing with the fatigue in the later miles, especially in your posterior chain, hamstrings, calves, or just in general, you're like, oh my gosh, this is just, why am I so tired at the end of this marathon? No pun intended, um, but just beware. You should train for this race just like you would train specifically for any other big race that was net downhill or had a lot of elevation gain. You should train for a flat marathon in a race specific way. Does this mean that in your training you should run everything pancake flat? No, hills still have value and you should include them strategically just because they help make you a better runner. But especially we're talking about those big long runs for a flat marathon like Chicago or translate this to any other flat marathon out there like Berlin or London. And there are a bunch of other flat marathons in the United States as well. You are going to need to train your body to handle just that much flatness mile after mile after mile. So the course itself, going back to the course, it's it takes you through it says 29 neighborhoods in Chicago. Um, it definitely felt like we saw, I went on a grand tour of the city. So it starts in in the, in the downtown area out of Grant Park. Like I said, you go up north and then you turn back around and you go out west and you turn back around and you go down south and you turn back around. And I, the most amazing thing for me was like when we were going through all these different neighborhoods is that the neighborhoods themselves came out to cheer you on. So yes, in a marathon like this, the spectators are going to be unbelievable. There are basically people lining the course almost the entire way from start to finish, which is amazing. I heard that the statistic is there are about a million people, a million spectators who come out to watch the Chicago Marathon. And the most amazing thing for me, you know, I had I had like my husband and a couple friends in the crowd, um, but that there are people who just live in Chicago who just go out to cheer the marathoners because they want, they think it's cool and they want to support the people who are running. So to all the spectators, whether you were there cheering on a family member or a friend, or just wanted to see some runners suffering <laughs> later on in the stages of a race, thank you for being there. Um, so go, going back to the course, so if you are not used to running in a big city, you may have heard us talk about this before, but you know your GPS on your watch can get really scrambled because of you know, the high buildings, water can confuse it, bridges. And Chicago, especially the downtown area, which you start in, has all of those. It's next to a giant lake and you're surrounded by skyscrapers and you also go underground in the very, very first mile. So yeah, you can't really rely on your GPS watch to tell you what pace you're running. In the first 10 miles of the race, um, my watch, it went from, you know, places of being reasonably accurate to sometimes it would say I was running like a five minute mile, but then I was running a 12 minute mile, but then I was running a seven minute mile, but then I was running a 13 minute mile. So it's definitely a race where you have to learn how to pace yourself based on feel, which is so challenging in a marathon because the very beginning, you know, everything feels very different. You feel fresh, you feel ready, but I will say it is definitely possible to pace yourself correctly. One of the things that I was advising people at our shakeout run on Saturday, which is so much fun, you know, because it's such a large race and you're going to be surrounded by so many people, 
One of the things we definitely want to avoid running any race, especially a marathon, you do not want to like weave in and out through the crowd. You, you That can add a lot of stress and a lot of time and a lot of distance into your race, so especially at the beginning when it is crowded. One of the best ways you can just keep yourself under control is you let yourself just go with the crowd. Don't try to get ahead of the crowd. Don't try to dodge or weave or go around people. Staying in the fray at the beginning can actually help you be more relaxed and you know in control of the first few miles because you're really not going to know what you're running in the first mile until you hit that very first watch split. If you're manually lapping your watch at the mile markers, this is the most accurate way to get a bead on what you're actually running um, in a marathon, especially like this. So, you know, click, get to that first mile marker and you click your lap and you're like, Hey, that's what I've been running. Okay. Let's, let's make a judgment. Hopefully it's not too fast. And now I, I do see some people like, wow, in their race recaps, oh my gosh, my first mile was slower than I wanted it to be. The cool thing about the marathon is you have so much real estate to work with. Even if you're 10, 20, even 30 seconds slower per mile than you expected to be, you know, that's okay. You actually have a ways to make that up as the race goes on. Now, before we dive more, dive, I dive more into, you know, mile by mile, how the course might, I did mention the shakeout run. So yes, running explained, we hosted, I, I guess it's me. I guess it's me, isn't it? I hosted my very first shakeout run, um, on Saturday in the park. Thank you to everybody who came. That was so much fun. We had people from uh, our Running Explained coaching team. We had some of our coaches there. We had friends of the pod. We had friends of other coaches who were there. It was a great experience. I will admit it is a it is very, very bizarre to me um, to have an event where, it, let me put it this way, I feel really conceited thinking that people are there to see me. So if you came to the shakeout run to see me, I am, uh, it's just something that I'm not used to, um, being like, oh, they're here to see me. You know, it's like, does anybody, it's the very first time I've done it. So I will admit to some awkwardness. Uh, some people are born to be in the spotlight and they know it and they have no problem, you know, taking up the mantle for me. You know, if, uh, if, if you, if you wanted a picture and you didn't get one, I'm sorry. Again, even just saying that feels like, oh, geez, Elizabeth, like who wants people, people aren't there to see you, but maybe you were. And so I thank you so much for being there, whether you stayed with us just for one mile or you were there for the entire 20 to 30 minutes and you, you hung out and chatted with us afterwards. Thank you. I had so much fun. And yes, we'll be doing that again in New York for the New York City Marathon on Saturday, uh, November 5th. Details to come. That was a lot of fun. So yes, shaking out. Um, the very, the most amazing thing, I'm, I know I feel like I'm going backwards. Like I started with the course and now we're talking about the day before. The One of the coolest things about being there for the marathon weekend was that there were just, it was so obvious that the city was just taken over by runners, by marathoners, by people who were there to run the marathon. On Saturday, everywhere in the whole downtown area, you had people doing shakeout runs in groups or solo. Um, we, in our shakeout run, we ran north along the uh, river walk around the, the lakefront trail. 
And it's not a river walk. It's a lakefront trail. It's a lake, not a river. And so we were heading north and the tracksmith shakeout run was heading south. <laughs> like, so then we, you know, it was like hundreds of people. We didn't have quite many people in our, in our shakeout run. There were a couple other shakeout runs. Um, it was just, it was the most amazing energy. Like we're all here for one purpose. We're all here to run a marathon. And it was just so cool to be part of like, yes, this is what we're here for. There are many unknowns to running a marathon, but one of my confirmed knowns from start to finish was what sunglasses I was going to be wearing. No, I did not wear my Gooder Special Edition Chicago Marathon. I like to save all of my branded race gear for after the race until I've actually finished it, but I did wear instead another pair of my absolute favorites, the Mach G Aviator Style in Clubhouse Closeout, which are gray. I wore those. I felt like a bad you-know-what. I feel like I looked really good for all my race photos and that counts for a lot. And now you can get free shipping on your next order of Gooders using code RUNEXP. So if you head to G-O-O-D-R.com, that's Gooder.com, and use code R-U-N-E-X-P, you're going to get free shipping on your entire order, whichever pair or pairs you decide to get. Look good, run Gooder. So Saturday... uh, I stayed in, in, in the downtown area, I stayed about five or six blocks away from the, from Grant Park, the start and the finish. So I could walk to and from the start and the finish, which was intentional. That's the, really the, also one of the cool things about this race in particular for a marathon major is that because it's a looped course, you don't need to get bused to the start or ferried to the start. All you New York people, um, buses, getting a bus to the start line happens in a lot of other major races. Um, LA, obviously, and even grandma's is a point to point, um, Boston famous for the buses, you know, New York famous for the logistics of taking a ferry to Staten Island at six o'clock in the morning for your 10 30 AM, uh, wave start, you know? So yes, the, from a logistics standpoint, it was very, very smooth to just be like, I'm getting up at four o'clock. I think I got up at four 30 and I was in wave one, so my wave was set to go off around 7.30. Like, that's so civilized and unusual for a race of that size when you have 40,000 people. Although it kind of did, like, I feel like I saw all 40,000 people at the expo on Saturday uh, all at the same time. <laughs> After the shakeout run on Saturday, we ended around, what, what, what did we actually start in? After all our chatting, I think we were done around 10, 10, 15, and I needed to go pick up my bib at the expo because, unfortunately, the flight that I flew in on Friday was delayed and I didn't have time to go to the expo on Friday. If you have the ability to go to the expo, anytime on a day that isn't the day before your marathon, I would highly recommend it. You know, important to save your legs. It's also just a lot. And if you want to go shopping at the expo, you don't want to spend two hours on your feet in the expo shopping when you have to go run a marathon the next day. But it was easy to get to from the shakeout run, took a quick Uber down to McCormick Place, the convention center, basically. And there's a lot of walking. Convention centers are absolutely massive. I think I clocked about a mile and a half of walking, like two down, down to the back of the expo where you go and you are, you know, get checked in, picked up my bib. You, they make you, they make you go to the back of the expo hall past all of the vendors 
in order to pick up your race bag shirt etc so if you want one of those clear bags to check for gear check in the marathon if you want your race t-shirt they make you go all the way past all of the vendors to get it so if if you are like easily distracted by shopping please put your blinders on even I was going through being like, I don't need any of this stuff. I'm not here to shop. And I still found myself like taking a little like, oh, what's over there? Oh, oh, do I need any more of my favorite goo flavor just in case? Um, do, should I just see what they have at the Nike uh, kiosk? No. So it was clearly strategic because, you know, vendors, um, you know, help sponsor and support the race and the race needs money to get put on. And I understand the synergy the uh, symbiosis of why it was set up that way. Um, but yes, be prepared to walk a lot. You cannot send anybody else to pick your bib up for you. You got to show like my ticket. Um, but it was a fairly seamless process. I very much appreciated that just the, and I'll say this multiple times, the level of organization and execution to put on an event like this is staggering. It was unbelievably well executed and well orchestrated that they could handle that many people. Cause it's not just like the 40,000 people running, it's all their friends and family. So you had tens, probably over a hundred thousand people just there specifically for the marathon, doing marathon related things over the course of two or three days. And yes, Chicago is a huge city, but you know, it definitely felt like we were all, you know, there was a runner, there's a runner, there's a runner. So headed down to McCormick place, uh, got there, walked all the way to the back of the convention hall, picked up my bib, walked all the way back to the back of the expo hall, picked up my bag and my shirt, walked all the way out, ended up taking the train back up instead of an Uber because of course the traffic situation was just an absolute nightmare. And then what did I do for the rest of the day? I went and sat in my hotel room and hydrated and ate some carbs and watched like bad TV and read a book. So, you know, the day before a marathon is not the most exciting thing to, you know, if you're in an exciting place, it's not the time to do exciting things. And I just, you know, (laughs) don't get carried away. Save your sightseeing for after, wherever you are, especially people who are running marathons in destination locations, whether it's a major city or it's a theme park, please save your tootling for after you have run your marathon. Your legs will thank you. So the, you know, very boring day afterwards, I put my PJs on, I like put my PJs on at noon and then just hung out. It was very boring. Um, and just texted with some of my athletes and was watching the weather. The weather was perfect. The weather was perfect. It was in the, the overnight low was in the low forties. The high for the day was in the mid sixties, but that was going to be later in the afternoon. It was sunny. The wind was minimal. The humidity was moderate. This was almost perfect marathoning conditions. So that was of all the things that we cannot control, weather is definitely one of them. And having the weather be on our side was definitely a huge plus because like I said, in 2021, the weather was just nasty. It was humid. It was warm. And even with the incredible on-course support of all the aid stations, I know that a lot of people experience some severe dehydration and cramping from lack of electrolytes, which, you know, is always a 
an issue or a possibility, even in good weather, but is definitely a huge issue when the weather is warm. Wasn't this way. So if this was your first marathon, may all your future marathons be the similar weather for you. Well, statistically, they might not. You know what? That's okay. So woke up, like I said, on Saturday morning, weather was nice and chilly. I had my throwaway layer, which was this sample sweatshirt that I had printed that they just messed the colors up on. And I was thinking like somebody somewhere, there's going to be a, a thrift store with a, with a janky looking running explain sweatshirt in it after all of this. So got up at 4.30. I had my coffee and my pre-race food which was a lot of, uh, so oatmeal and Martin bars. I really am a fan of the Martin solid bars. They are pretty amazing in terms of palatability and how they sit in my stomach. The thing I was concerned most about is that my hydration, like I get dehydrated relatively easily. I have a very high sweat rate. And so not being able to run with a hydration pack, um, I did carry a handheld bottle for the first half of the marathon, but that was more to supplement what I was gonna be drinking on the course, but just making sure that I wasn't starting the, the race dehydrated, absolutely. So waking up, carbs, electrolytes, water, didn't leave for the race until a little bit later than I planned because nothing in my body was moving and I didn't want to get stuck in a porta potty and miss the wave start. Um, so the nice thing, like I said, being so close to the start, just being able to walk to the start, I, my wave started at the very first wave. So I was in Corral C. Um, the race started at seven 30. They said in the tag, get there like two hours early, Yes, I understand why they say this. There are so many people and so many logistics and you don't know how long the security lines are going to be and if you have to get in line for porta potties and wait. But there is, anytime you run a marathon, a lot of hurry up and wait. Like you get somewhere and then you just kind of hang out. Like I got to Chicago and I did something and then I just sat in my hotel room. You know, we get to the start line early and then we just kind of sit and wait. That is a part of racing these larger races. Just is how it is. Um, so yes, I left my hotel room at six, six, six fifteen. Sun wasn't quite up yet. Walked on over. It was chilly. Uh, I was wearing shorts and then I had my t-shirt and my bib pinned on and then my sweatshirt over it. And I did not check a bag. So I, because my husband was there and was going to meet me at the finish line and he was going to be, I, I like ch- packed up the clear bag, the clear check bag for him to bring to me, which had a fresh sweatshirt and sandals <laughs> and some non-gel food and a, a Gator Lights electrolyte beverage, you know, so he could meet me at the start line. So yes, yeah, so he walked over with me and, you know, it was about five, 10 minutes total walk, 10 minutes to get over there. And it's so cool. Like everybody, everybody is just streaming through the city. The sun is, it's still dark and everybody's just walking in the same direction, right? And we're all super excited. And the closer you get, the more people are, the more people you see, the more people you see, and you get to that main um, avenue, the boulevard that runs north and south along the park. And you, it's just, there are people everywhere, everywhere. And you look ahead and there are just people everywhere. And, you know, coming out of COVID for the past few years, and this is something we talked about a lot in our group marathon, in our group um, training, half and full marathon groups, is that, you know, you, you may not realize how unused to seeing 
huge groups of people that you are, especially if you don't live in a major city or haven't attended major events, just to walk up and see thousands, tens of thousands of people was like, ah, you felt like you were in the center of the universe at that moment. And it was just an amazing feeling. So say goodbye to my husband, sent him back to the hotel room, crossed the road and got into security line. In the security line, believe it or not, this is just the universe. Next to me was Coach Amanda Katz, one of our Running Explained coaching team coaches who she and I had been trying to meet up all weekend. It didn't really happen. She was staying somewhere else and couldn't make a shakeout run. Next to me in the security line was Amanda. So that was so nice to go through and see her and chat with her pre-race and just talk about, you know, exciting to be here. How is your race going to go? How are you feeling? And, you know, when you get to this place of having done all the months of hard work, and yeah, you know, we have we have the the wishes and the dreams for our race. The best place you can be, and you know, she and I is what I, we really talked about was that, you know, being at peace with what's going to happen and just going out there and having fun. So you've done all the work you can do. All you can do now is just have fun and and be at peace, right? Let it happen. Going through security was really easy. I did not check a bag. Like I said, I'm not, I did not have a bag to check. So all I had was my handheld, my gels, my phone. It was basically it. Um, and that security went really quickly. And then once you're in the park, past the security line, again, there are just people everywhere. Banks and banks and banks of porta potties everywhere. There are fences up everywhere and signs directing people on where to go. There were volunteers everywhere telling people where to go. Like I said, this was an unbelievably well supported, well executed race. And I thank every single one of the volunteers who were there, especially the ones who had to answer the same questions over and over again like, is this the way to Corral C or? Where are the porta potties? <laughs> um, so yes. Also in the um, post security pre corral area, I ran into Sarah Manderscheid, another coach that I know, and she and I chatted for a little bit. She had an amazing race as well. Congratulations to Sarah! And it was just, it was just, I mean, it's such a huge race. Like I said, forty thousand people, and in the span of ten minutes, I saw two people who I know personally, randomly, had not planned on that. Yes, I did. Uh, after that, hit the porta potty line. It was very, very long. All of the lines were very, very long, but they moved very quickly. Got through there, got to pee, took my sweatshirt off, went into my corral. They do close the corrals 10 minutes early. So I had to be, so it's for a 7:30 wave start. So there's three waves in each wave are different corrals. So I think uh, the first wave was corrals A through E. And the second wave was were corrals F through, you know, I forget in the third corral. So obviously like alphabetically you have your corrals from A until the, uh, I think M may have been the final corral. But in, so wave one, you had to be in your corral 10 minutes early. Again, a lot of hurry up and wait. Get in there, you know, it's 10 minutes early. You're not going to start for at least another 10 minutes after the race starts because we're the third wave back and it's a little bit chilly trying to, you know, expend too much energy, jumping around, bouncing around, but don't let your feet go numb. So, you know, took the people around up me, we were all like kind of taking each other's pictures and just getting excited about it. 
And so after the race started, the first wave, we, the third wave, we crossed the finish, the cross the start line about nine minutes after the race started, which is really, really good. Anybody who's run a huge race can know that, you know, sometimes you're, you'll cross the finish line an hour or more, two, three hours after the race has actually started. So we were only nine minutes back from the very first start. So like I said, back at the beginning of this episode, the first mile, you go underground. You really do. The first mile, you go out of the park and there's really nobody around because you're still running out of the park and you go into this underground, you know, street tunnel area. And it's just you and it's quiet and your GPS is going haywire, just like, hey, just breathe and, and run. And you come out to the other side of this tunnel and there are just people screaming. There are people everywhere, not only in front of you, the sea of runners in front of you, where you feel like you're just part of one giant blob of runners, but all along the course, especially the beginning, lining the, lining the streets were run people just screaming and cheering for the runners. And keep in mind, I started nine minutes after the front runners. These people had been screaming for at least nine minutes at that point, um, probably longer considering, <laughs> you know, how long it, it takes everybody to kind of go through. And so, you know, to, to have them there, like, wow, this is really something unique, especially if you're used to running smaller races, definitely <laughs> like, wow, a definitely a unique feature of one of these larger races. In the Chicago Marathon, there are, you do cross um, bridges a couple times. So they had these, the bridges themselves have some like metal lattice work. Like you can look down and just see the river. Um, but so on some of these, you know, instead of just running over the metal grates, they they taped down these red carpets in areas, not the, not the entire bridge. You could still run on the metal if you wanted to, but they had a side of the bridge that was covered in the taped down red carpet. I kind of found the red carpet to be a, like a little, I didn't, I didn't prefer it to running on the metal. Like, yes, you had to watch your feet on the metal grates, but running on the carpet for me was like my body, my brain expected it to be solid underfoot. And it wasn't, it was a carpet covering metal grates. Like you were still obviously running on like an open metal mesh grate covered in a carpet and I, my brain just didn't like that. So whenever I had the chance, I would actually run carefully along on the, on the metal mesh, like on the regular part of the bridge itself. Now the first part of the race, like I said, you go North and then you head South. Um, it, it, there are a lot of long straight roads. There are a lot of just either you do make, you do make some twists and turns. You do kind of turn up and down. Like I said, you go up and then you make a turn, you come back down, but there are sections of this course where it's just, you're running in, in a straight line for a couple miles. Some people don't like this. Some people really like this. I also think it depends on where your mindset is in the race at any given point in time. We ran through sections of a park. We ran through some really gorgeous neighborhoods. And the course support, I think, was really exceptional the entire way. The um, the aid stations themselves were numerous <laughs> and plentiful. Over 26 miles, there were 20 individual aid stations. And each aid station was, I mean, almost a quarter mile long. So each aid station started and had the same order. Like there was a medical station and then there was Gatorade 
And then after the Gatorade, there was water. Like you knew exactly what was going to happen in each aid station. And they just kept on coming. They kept on coming. So like I said, you know, because you're not allowed to wear a hydration vest in a race like Chicago for security concerns, same with a lot of the other um, American-based marathon race, uh, large marathons. It is definitely possible to stay hydrated without needing a hydration vest with that much um, hydration and encore support available to you. Like I said, I was carrying a hydration, a bottle, a handheld bottle, which I ditched at the halfway point. I gave it to my husband um, right after the the halfway point. Uh, I, in retrospect, did not need it, which was cool. But I also had no idea what to expect, having never run a race like this before, and having and usually running my races with the support of my hydration vest. Like I said, I'm a sweaty sweater, so. I did not need my bottle. I'm glad I had it. I'm glad that I tried it out. I don't actually like carrying bottles when I run. And it was also something where, like I said, I had a really, just a really tough race from, from basically start to finish. And, um, it was some, my, there were points where my mind was dwelling on like this fucking bottle. Like, oh my God, is this, why am I carrying this? This is so stupid. Like, ow, now my arm hurts. You know, your brain can catastrophize when things aren't going very well. And so I definitely feel like I got to direct some of my rage at the bottle. <laughs> I don't know if that helped or if that hurt. Um, but yes, the one thing I did say, you know, I, there, I did not rely on on course fueling. There were gels, bananas and available at later stops and Gatorade endurance available at every hydration stop. I only took water. I was relying on my own fueling strategy. I used a combination of goo. So the saltier flavors of goo, 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 roctane lemonade and goo salted lime and Martin caffeinated gels. And the entire race, I felt very well fueled and well hydrated. So I know sometimes when we're examining our performance and you think, you know, did I hit the wall? How was my feeling? How was my hydration? Did I have any GI issues? You know, the one, the things that I'm thinking about, Hey, I nailed my fueling. I nailed my hydration using on course support. And you know, I didn't get dehydrated. I didn't hit a wall from a fuel perspective. So that stuff I'm really happy about. So you run through some really nice neighborhoods. You really do, especially at the beginning of this race. So um, the race, the course was marked with both mile markers and kilometer markers. So if you were um, splitting yourself at kilometer markers, you could do that. Or with mile markers, you know, the first 10 miles of a marathon, you kind of just want it to be like the miles are clicking by. And it definitely felt that way, which is really, really good. The course was, uh, it, especially in that first part, very, very suburban scenic. Um, we, we ran down this one street where I was just like, I want to live on this street, but I don't have $10 million. <laughs> um, and so that, I mean, it was really cool. There was always something new to see. And that's really one of the cool things about running a course like this, where you go through all those different neighborhoods is that you're like, Oh, this is new. This is new. This is new. As opposed to just kind of being in the same monotonous roads forever and ever and ever. Yes. You're going through 26 miles of city, but you're going through all these different parts of the city, a park, um, a more, more industrial area. You're going through a downtown with huge buildings. You're going through Chinatown. You're going through all these different um, looking and feeling places, which was pretty amazing. So you do go up for quite a ways. So you, you start and you kind of go into downtown a little bit. You go up across the bridge, you scoot left, and then you go down across another bridge into downtown and go all the way back up. And it was, of course, anybody who's run a marathon and then the next day had the experience of like, I think I ran down this street. <laughs> that definitely happened a lot for me. But you go up and up and you go north, north, north. You go through some parks. Um, 
And then you go north until roughly the eight mile mark. And that's when you turn around and come back in. So by the time you hit the you know, the, the completion of that first, that Northern loop, you've basically run half the race. The halfway point of the marathon is basically, you know, the, the first half of the marathon happens when you head North and back. And then the rest of the marathon happens in that Western and that Southern loop. So if you've made it up and you make it back down, Hey, guess what? You're halfway there. Unfortunately for me, by the time that I hit the halfway point, I was feeling like super hot garbage already. And uh, I was just in a really bad headspace. I was upset that I was upset. I was feeling bad that I was feeling so bad. And um, the original really conservative time that I was aiming for, I was like, screw it. Like, I'm even not quite sure that I was going to finish this race. I did in my head, I want to let you know, I gave myself two situations in which I was going to be allowed to drop out of the race. If I started vomiting, I would allow myself to depart the race. If I fell and hurt myself, I would allow myself to depart the race. Everything else, hey, you're in it. You are here for a reason and you need to finish no matter how bad it's going to hurt. And for me, I find that when I pass the halfway point of the marathon, I literally saw my husband like, a hundred yards after the, you have reached the halfway point of this race. And I ran up to him at a barrier and I was just like, I feel really bad. Like this sucks. Um, take my water bottle. I'm keeping my gels Bye. And when I made the decision at that point to keep going, I, that was it. I was going to run the rest of this race. Um, no matter how bad I felt, (laughs) I knew, you know, once you hit that halfway point, like it, for me, that's the point of no return. Like you're in it, you're doing it now. The whole, the whole first half is like a, the test, right? To see if anything really bad is going to happen. Hit the halfway point, baby, you're going to finish. So the halfway point, uh, you, you head, you start heading West again, more flat streets. There were more cheering sections. People had, you know, a lot of tents out like tailgating tents, the aid stations kept on coming, just try to settle in uh, to a pace. The problem was, is that my legs wanted to run a pace that my like body just didn't want to run. Um, and I just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't my day. So unfortunately I was going through, like I would, I would hit a groove and then be like, I, you know, my, where, where we counsel athletes to go is like, let your body naturally settle into the pace it wants to run. My legs wanted to run one pace and the rest of my body did not want it to run that pace. So it was just, it was just a big challenge. You kept going. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. The, the Western out and back is really relatively short. Um, so, you know, unlike the Northern loop, when you're going up for four miles, five miles, the Western loop, that initial, like, Hey, we head West and then we turn around it's like a mile, maybe a mile and a half. And then you kind of turn back around and go South and then go out again. And, um, so, you know, once I hit mile 16, I know it was like, you know, there's, I'm going to finish this race. You know, there's no way I'm not going to finish this race. I'm more than capable of finishing this race, even though it's going to suck. And in a marathon, there's always going to be discomfort. Um, how much discomfort, you know, you never really know what you're going to get. But at that point, like you, it is what it is. You are suffering and that's just how it's going to be. I ran for a couple miles with this like terrible smile grimace on my face. Like I just made that I was like just embracing like this sucks. <laughs> this is the worst. And I'm just like have this horrible rictus of a smile on my face. 
Um, at certain points, I once I hit mile 18, I gave myself permission to walk once every mile if I needed to. That was somehow worse than running at that point. Um, it just, it prolonged my agony and it was actually more uncomfortable than running. So it was just running, you know, just, just keep going. This is very, a unique experience for me. And I think it was a very humbling experience for me to go through this because i I've run a marathon that felt like this before. The marathon I ran that felt like this before was a marathon that I ran as a relatively new runner that I was massively undertrained for. And, you know, to go through this experience, because I've had two, my two, my previous two marathons back to back were good marathons. I ran really well and had a really good time and everything felt relatively good for the entire race. And this was like a shock to the system. Like, hey, remember that marathons are really hard sometimes just because they are. And uh, don't forget that. So I feel like it was the universe being like, ah, for every two, you get one bad. Um, But you just got to keep going. Keep going no matter what. Stay hydrated. Stay fueled. Keep going. The crowds were amazing. Like I said, you know, been cheering for people for hours and hours by the time that I came through. And I know that there are many, many people behind me as well that people were still cheering for. the The hardest part of the course for me, I feel, was the Southern Loop. So again, we're talking about hey, it's still flat, <laughs> still well supported. the The problem was for me. This was one hundred percent a mental thing. Is that where when you're? It's an. It was a this point in the course, unlike other parts of the course where you would go up and then like turn over a block and then go down, there was a section of this course, which was a true out and back as in you had runners running on both sides of the same road for a certain stretch of time. And so unlike other parts of the course, you saw the future mile markers on the other side of the road. The problem was, is that I did the math and realized that the mile marker that I was at and the mile marker that was on the other side of the road, I had quite a ways to go before I, like, I was like, oh, you know, sometimes when you're riding it out and back, you're not quite sure how much farther you have left to go. And you can kind of trick your brain into being like, just keep going. I'm sure the turnaround's just right up ahead. You just haven't seen it yet. This was a, a point where like, I knew how much there was left to go. It was over a mile, two miles. And I was just, ah, I did not, I wanted it to be done. The cool thing is that when you do finally make that final turnaround and you are heading North for the very last time, you basically only have two miles left. And at that point we were all in this just to finish it. And as we got closer and closer into the downtown, the crowds just got bigger and bigger. Like 10, 12, 15 people deep in the final stretch, just people losing their minds, people just trying to hang on to the very, very end. You make a, so they start to have signs as you get towards the finish, not just like the mile, the marker signs like, oh, 40K or mile 25, you know, mile 26, where they start to have like, you know, a thousand meters left, 800 meters left, 400 meters left, 200 meters left. And then of course, by the time you take that final turn after you do the little, the little lumpy hill, (laughs) after you run over the lump and you make the final left-hand turn into the park, the finish line is right there. It's just right there. And it's like, you just like, all you turn and you finish. Amazing experience. I wish that I had felt better I know some people had an absolutely amazing race, but I know I was not the only one who had a hard time. And that is the heartbreak of the marathon is that sometimes the day that you get is just 
Hey, you're going to have out of every hundred days, you're going to have a bad day. And guess what? Your bad day is on the day you happen to be signed up for a marathon. And I want everybody who had a rough day to remember that this is just one race in all the many races that you're going to do. And this was just a snapshot of your fitness on a single day. And some, maybe it was just stroke of luck and you had bad luck, right? Maybe we just had a bad day and that's okay. Especially if you genuinely feel like you trained appropriately for the race itself. You got your mileage in, you did your long runs, you, you know, you, you did, you fueled, you hydrated. But of course there's always things to learn from every race that we do good and bad. And so, yeah, I I also want to say, if you had a great race, congratulations, figure out what went well and remember that, you know, don't mess with something that's working. Please, 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 please. I feel like sometimes when runners have a really great race and they try to tinker and optimize and I'm like, hey, you know what? There's a lot that worked for you. Maybe don't change everything about what you're doing for next time. If your fueling strategy worked for you, keep it. If your hydration strategy worked for you, keep it. Like keep the things that worked for you and don't try to reinvent the wheel every single time that you go for a race. No, but of course, for those of us who had a less than ideal race, yes, there's always some introspection involved. Did I just have a bad race because I just had a bad day? Is there something that I could have done differently in the race itself, mentally, physically? Is there something that I could have done differently in my training? Is this something where do I need to look beyond this training cycle and maybe look back a couple years, right? We always talk about looking for these patterns because everything in running is cumulative, That's the theme for this. Everything in running is cumulative. Your results today, good or bad, is the accumulation of weeks, months, possibly years heading into this, right? So it's not to say that, oh, it's the butterfly effect. And two years ago, and I did this, that's directly related to my performance today. But it might be. Now, rarely things are are things so black and white, unfortunately, if they were, we would <laughs> spend a lot less time guessing and a lot more time seeing, ex- I know exactly what happened. And sometimes you may know exactly what happened. And that's really, really good for you to be able to understand that, hey, directly correlation and causation in the same boat together. I know that this caused this, therefore I can there, I, I can I can fix it. Um, but maybe it's something that's more subtle or different or something that's kind of been a long time coming. So yes, whether you had a good day or a bad day, if you finished, you finished a marathon. You are in a rarefied air of people who finish marathons at any pace. And you should be exceedingly proud of yourself for getting yourself across that finish line. Whether you had to crawl, walk, or you did run across it, you made it. Not just for the Chicago Marathon, but any marathon that you may have run or any race that you have run recently. I know it's really easy to look at our performance and especially in, in marathon land and marathoning, um, it's really easy to forget that not everybody does this, that when we cross a finish line, most people, most normal people think that we're absolutely bonkers for wanting to run a marathon or run marathons multiple times a year. And it's easy to forget that what we're doing is exceptional and it's special. And I want you to be proud of yourself for putting yourself out there and daring to do something that is extraordinarily hard, no matter who you are. So the day after 
I saw a number of people wearing their medals out and about. And somebody actually said, <laughs> I, like, I wear my medals so that people will help me with my bag when I travel. And I completely understand that. So it was so great to see that feel like the city was still, you know, on the marathon high the following day. And if you got your medal engraved, if you want to remember this race forever, or if you want to forget it as quickly as possible, you know, that, that is for you to, nobody can take away this, this marathon happened to you. You did this marathon. I know I don't want you, I don't want you to forget it good or bad. I want you to remember every race that you do good or bad, because these races make who we are as runners, good and bad. And the lessons that we can learn, it's all just about becoming, trying to become better. I know we talk about long-term gains and being patient and being consistent. And we hope that cycle over cycle over cycle, you're going to get better and have a better experience. Now, better doesn't always mean faster. Better can mean just better skilled at racing, having a better race experience. If you want to get faster, hopefully that happens too. But it's also okay if you don't get faster every training cycle. It's the consistency of your cycles in total that gets you to where you're trying to be which is somebody who is good at running marathons. Again, good does not necessarily mean a specific time. I know people who run amazing marathons that are five hours or six hours. I know people who run terrible marathons that are close to three hours, right? So it's all about running a good marathon, becoming skilled at the art and the science of racing. The things I will say about the Chicago Marathon in closing is that if you do not want to run a race like this, you do not have to. If you don't want to run a marathon at all, you don't have to. It's not to say that like, oh, this is not an advertisement for the Chicago Marathon. This was definitely a unique race experience. I think the definite pros, uh, as in like a pros and cons list, of racing a race like this, uh, you know, the atmosphere was, as in the camaraderie, that was incredible. But the con is that there are a lot of people everywhere. If you're not a crowds person, that might not be the race for you. But if you thrive on crowd support, this might be a good race for you. Uh, It is expensive to get there. No denying that. You also have to pay if you're not local to the area, pay for flights. uh, You got to pay for hotels. The race entry fee is a couple hundred bucks. Of course, if you buy any swag, it's a couple hundred bucks more. So it does add up you know, it may not be worth it for you. And that's completely okay. There are many amazing marathons near you, which I'm sure would cost a lot less to enter. And you can stay in your house for free (laughs) the night before. The course support was um, at the on-course support. The course aid was amazing. That is an absolute pro. Like there are no cons to that. Having that many aid stations that were that well-staffed, well-supported, and well-stocked was unparalleled. If you needed something, it was just around the corner. Whether it was Gatorade, water, a bathroom, a medical attention, or food, it was available to you almost at every point, somewhere within every mile of the race itself. That was absolutely amazing. Now, of course, the drawback is is that you have less control over your own stuff. If If you really are used to carrying your own stuff, you're gonna have to practice what it's like to rely on encore support or have a really, really, really solid plan for where and when you're going to take aid if you cannot take it uh, ad libitum off your back. But again, like these, these aid stations were so numerous. 
it was almost like having it on demand. And the last thing I'll say, and the last thing I'll say, it's amazing to me how versatile, how resilient, how persistent, how amazing human beings can be. Running in the race, spectating the race, supporting the race, it really does feel like the best of humanity is on display when you are in a marathon or watching a marathon like this. There is a sense of an unbelievable sense of camaraderie, of oneness. We all understand each other. We all are here for the same purpose. And yes, some of us might be suffering mightily at certain times, but we're all trying to move in the same direction. And it's just, it was, it was such a great experience to be a part of this, especially as somebody who is relatively introverted and relatively cynical. I'm a cynical optimist about the world, but that was for me, you know, such a, a reaffirmation of, of how great humanity can be when we come together um, and just celebrate who we are as individuals. So congratulations. Congratulations to anybody who ran. Thank you to everybody who spectated, who volunteered to support. Congratulations to anybody who has run any marathon or is about to run any marathon or any race this fall. I wish you the best weather and the best of luck. And for anybody who is finished with their fall racing season and had the race of their life and want to take it to the next level or had a race that they would rather have come out differently and want to make some changes for next time, the Running Explained coaching team is here for you. We are accepting new clients, new one-on-one run coaching clients. Whatever your goals are, whether you're trying to level up or right the ship, any paces, any experience levels, or also we have training plans for all race distances, or if you're in an off season or want to work on base building, we have plans for that too. And then I'm also working on expanding our group coaching offerings. So those will be available for you soon as well. Thank you for listening today, everyone. I hope wherever you are, you have a great rest of your day. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.